last time on the ever-pleasant Mr. Bates. What does this town have to live for if you're gonna run? You're the only one that could keep it together. I know how the selectmen work. I know that that is bullshit. Don't do anything. You do things. You're the only one that keeps this town running. And if you leave, then the town is dead. So how dare you tell me that you are gonna leave? Are you sure that whatever's in there is something that you want to see? Your eyes meet, and you are only a few feet away from Norman Weaver. And it is a grisly sight to see. Hello everyone and welcome to The Ever Pleasant Mr. Bates. A Dark Tides prequel series run by yours truly, Jester Lydon. Uh, we are up to our seventh episode, I believe, and I, uh, I could never do this alone. I am in requirement of a cast, because I can't... I can do other voices. But not that many. But not that many, and I forget. Also, so, you would struggle to sound female. Just, you know... I don't know, AK's pretty realistic. AK sounds like butchy. And (laughs) Willow. That's who she is. I mean, she's pretty butch. Yeah, AK is butch. That's why it works. Anyway, uh, I'm joined by the the wonderful cast of The Everpleasant Mr. Bates, starting, of course, with who we always start with, but he's always surprised, Micah. Hey! I'll just hand in my microphone then. It's a me. We always start with me. What's up, man? How you doing? Mario. I know you are my favorite. Oh, oh, really? Well, that's great. Thanks. You were picking favorites. <laughs> I, <laughs> can you argue? Don't worry, Elias Mendoza. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was sitting here the whole last episode, not doing anything. So yeah, I feel kind of bad for it. I have to, I have to give him some. Like he literally said. Like three words. I feel like I need to say, "Yeah, you're my favorite man. Yeah. You're doing a good job. Yeah. You're here. That's why I you're give here. you the least line." That's right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, our studio audience. Hey. Hey. Right. Yeah. Clap away from your mic. Yeah. To not really takes big. the old pressure off. <laughs> What's up, dog? Well, not much. Um, so yeah, Micah, I play Ben Mears and John Campbell. They're Reggie more the, the other characters I play, and also I'm doing fun things. Sure. Well, I think we can now. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, hit, hit so me. I think in the last episode, uh, they went hit to me. the... Do it. I want you to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, since I think they went to the uh, the caravan park. And so I was just... I was revving to say that there'd be like three rolls of toilet paper just on random things just because Mendoza walks by every now and then. And, nah. Because he doesn't really like them. But he d- he's not willing to, like, completely destroy them. So, uh, Yeah, hi, my name's BJ. I play Tali Jackson, who is a bit sore uh, this week. Uh, oh, fun fact about Tully. <laughs> I don't have one prepared. Um, Make something up. You're what an kind of actor. milk does he like? He is lactose intolerant. Oh. Thank you. Oh. He had most, custard. Most, uh, yeah, <laughs> of it <laughs> going right through him yeah. uh, look I don't know clear don't out all that internal things. bleeding um, yeah he also loves pancakes he just loves food mm. he takes the consequences okay. yeah okay. he just eats things and deals yeah. with later that doesn't mean that he does anything about it he, he believes just, in exposure yeah. therapy <laughs> I drink enough but, milk well, my no, body I think, I think in the thing it's like oh lactose intolerant that means I can't drink coffee with milk in it so I just don't drink coffee he doesn't think about, oh, custard, 
butter. <laughs> like, nah. That's not a milk. Hey, cow. yo, give me some more of that Buddha. <laughs> but it's not butter. made from milk. I like it. It's good. It's good for my veins. It's really good for my veins. Lubricates bod. the blood going back and forth. Yeah, that c- calorical intake. Anyway, moving on. Round the stable. Cholesterol is stable. Around the Squovel units. Yes, around the Squovel units is Megan. And I play Olivia Kelly. Fun fact about her, because you should know her by now if you've been listening up to here. Um, she still has good grades. Why? Because she's been studying for 10 years in like five different industries. Um, most of it was pre-med until she realized, I don't think I can handle the stress of a hospital. I couldn't handle the stress of a like chef's kitchen. I can't handle the stress of a hospital. Is it just at the point where like grades are her life? Yeah, it's like, grades if are I stop her life. Studying, no one will tell me if I'm doing well. Basically, yeah, she she life. finds her only validation in life from her grades, and that's why she was always so dedicated to getting her assignments in on time for Jack Finney because she was like, "This is how I get validation it's in so life." So sad. This I is know, hitting right? a little so... too close to home. Mm. Yeah, Megan, you're okay. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. I now. am okay. Um, yeah, no. So she. Yes, I am okay. Yeah, I am okay. Not what we are. Um, so yeah, she's basically now finalizing off her final degree, which is funeral director. Um, she did go into like briefly dentistry and realized, no, that's got a really high suicide rate. Um, and then moved into like just taking a bit of a break, doing a bit of journalism, realizing the that was AK's. Dentists. Dentists. <laughs> dentists. Dentists. That's yeah. That that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> dentists they, have a really high suicide rate. But they make all that cash moolah. They have a lot of stress from people coming in stressed. And you got to put your fingers in someone's mouth. I, yeah. I have, People for the might. last year, I was in a car with someone um, as they were driving and their tooth, like, exploded while they were driving. And ever it? since that moment, what? I was like, I think I need to go to the dentist to make sure my teeth aren't going to do that. Or they How? were eating, like, a, a minty or something and it, like, pulled. Anyway. Um, I was like, oh, I should probably go it's to a okay, dentist Aubrey. to make sure that doesn't happen. And that was, like, a year ago. Uh, you, you okay. literally hurt one Aubrey. half of the I'm table. So sorry. Anyway, I won't tell you about Georgia surgery. It's more of anyway. like a crunchy rip out and less of a. <laughs> no! Stop it! Stop it! Hey, listen, right, guys, right. I'm, the, I'm the horror writer. I gotta do it. And there's bits still connected to it. Like it's a muscle. The tendons, you know? The okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To be in this episode. Anyway, Megan's I've... lost her right to talk now. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Okay, what is she studying now? She's studying funeral director. So, like, she's fine with dead bodies. She's absolutely fine. Because she's done so I'm many years of... mouth closed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, like, they can't criticise her because they're dead. Um, so, yeah, she really... Ooh, she moved into that. Because, like, she got to a point where she tried to become a dentist or a doctor or something of that level because her parents only respect those kinds of careers. And then she realised, I can't do any of this. It's too high stress. I'm just going to try and make do with what I've got. Becomes a funeral director. <laughs> Mm. So yeah, fun fact about her: she can handle dead bodies. Sweet. Ooh. Around the squabble, 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 squabble. Hey, I'm Kate, and as we're currently recording, I'm Kate McCallum. But when this uh, is live, I will be Kate Jones. Wow, hey. she's fleeing the country. What? No one else can see this happening, but I'm she's balancing up and my down. Identity. No, she's, she's going to become Caleb. Yeah, and. Flee to Paraguay. 
I've already fleed the, the land of the queen. Where else am I fleeing to? <laughs> the land back. of Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go back. Sorry, all my Queensland friends and mother who is currently She's listening. She's not sorry. You're just lame. <laughs> wow. It's not our fault that we're yeah. better down here. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we, <laughs> I mean that. we've got we've got two types of twoies. Ooh. We're pretty sick. <laughs> we do. Twoies old, twoies new. <laughs> oh, and twoies dry. No one drinks that. Three types. Twoies times two. Twoies times two. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks so, for this. Passing on Explain. to future hubby. Also, That's... I'm the voice of Jess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the fun fact? That was the fun fact. Oh, wait, what was the fun like, fact? The fun that's fact is I'm marrying you when this Quite like the person next to you. Airing. That's it. That's it. That's all we get. That's all right. Well, I love you. My name is Caleb, also to be Jones. Maybe you should just swap surnames. <laughs> Caleb McCallum. Uh, my name is yeah. Caleb McCallum. No. I, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, no. You Got can take it as a middle name. Um, good, good sounds. Anyway, I play the role of Bud Humphreys, the lovable, huggable mum friend of the group. Um, Bud and, Buddy Humphrey? Hmm? Bud Buddy Humphrey? Yeah, Bud Buddy Humphrey. I almost forgot that. Thank you. Uh, and fun fact for Buddy, uh, when he got the job for being a bouncer, he didn't know, like, what he would need for it so he he went out and uh took some judo lessons uh and only got like one belt in before thinking yeah that'll suffice um yep so so he he knows how like to do like the basic throw okay. i see of you judo. Know judo well sir. i see you <laughs> Well, you guys were all having all the breakdowns. I was studying the judo. Very nice. He feels a lot more confident in it than he actually is. Um, Good. That's the way so, to do it. Yeah. Confidence yeah. is That's above proficiency. Really. It's, it's the heart. Confidence and body weight. That's it's, all really It's because he's such a large you know, man yeah. now. He, 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 he doesn't really need as much technique to get the same effect. Yeah. So... He thinks he's a lot better skill-wise. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. That's yes. a fun fact. Fun fact for you. Nice, 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 nice. Very fun. Tuck, tucky, tuck, tuck. Uh, hi, I'm Aubrey. I play Tuck Marsh, the uh, grumbling, mumbling, chain-smoking... <laughs> Crunchy-munching, granola-munching. Cigarette-munching. Cigarette <laughs> Uh, okay, fun fact about Tuck. I've been thinking about this for a while. Tuck hates... Tuck despises Nirvana. Ooh. <laughs> Out of jealousy. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Every time he is, there's those first they two. They have my job. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is a case of, I could have been you. Yeah. You're not better than me. Does, does Tuck have, like... Like discarded, hidden away lyrics that are almost like identical to like <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit, and he's no, like, no. "That could have smells been like my a song." Trend. The the part of his his disgust for Nirvana comes from the fact that he believes that he's a better lyricist than Kurt Cobain. Is like your songs are too simple. <laughs> There's no artistry. Um, <laughs> yes, so. While being uh, rather ironic that Tuck's one successful song that got radio play in Canada, uh, Bear Trap, <laughs> is quite a simple repetitive song. Yeah. Mm. Like, oh, I hate that it works. 
<laughs> yep. I don't no, no, no. He, he would be insisted that there's a deeper meaning connected to his life. No, no, because it's the one song that he will, he refuses to say that there has any yeah. uh, underlying uh, meaning at all. Nope, it just sounds good. That's all it is. They were words, they sound good in my ears. Anyway, moving on to The Everybody's Miss Bates, Episode 7, The Silent Invasion. The stairs creak as Adrian, the Mercy's Creek pest and animal control worker, descends the stairs down from the first story. Cheryl Wolf stands at the bottom of the steps waiting for him. Well, Mrs. Wolf, there are no raccoons in the ceiling, no bats, no opossums neither. Found some signs of a skunk out back, but it's long gone. Thank you, dearie, but I know what I heard. Did you check the bathroom? Yes, nothing in any of the drains. They're too slim for anything other than mice, and mice don't make those sorts of sounds. I heard something like a moaning, a sloshing type of sound. It could be a build-up in the pipes causing a strange echo. I know a guy who might be able to help. I'll, uh, I'll put you in touch with him. Other than that, I don't know what could be causing those types of sounds. I've checked the place over for animals, so we seem to be good for now. I'll see if I can find his card and I'll tell him to give you a call. Adrian hefts up his bag and animal net and begins heading for the door. He had a dentist appointment in two hours and he knew he'd be cutting it close if he wasn't out of Mercy's Creek and on the highway in the next 15 minutes. There is one last place, dearie. The voice of Cheryl Wolf creaks out and floats over his shoulder as his hand grips the cool metal of the door handle. One last place. He turns back and looks at the small woman. The house was old, one of the oldest established houses. Pounded in a dark wood, every square inch of wall was covered with an antique clock large paintings bedazzled with gold-painted frames, bookshelves and more. Every corner stood a plinth with a vase or carnival glass lamp. It was dark, and despite the house's rather accommodating size, it felt cramped, and with the recent cold front, it felt damp, like a cave. He reluctantly let his hand drop from the slowly warming metal of the door handle the light from beyond the door casting through a large stained glass window in the centre of the door, sending a kaleidoscope of colours into the dingy little hall. She stood, just beyond the beams of light, in the damp, in the dark. 
Could that sound have come from the basement? Her voice croaked out again, not filling the room as some voices do, but slowly reaching out. Many fingered, many jointed, carried unwillingly upon the air. Adrian felt very uncomfortable around Mrs. Wolfe. He never used to have. He'd always rather liked her when he was a boy and would see her at church or other functions. But as he stood at the other end of the corridor, it felt a mile away from the woman he knew. But that was just how everything felt these days. Going to the bargain mart, going to the main street. Seemed almost like everyone nowadays was starting to feel like that. But maybe it was just him. Maybe he was the one being a mile away. So he stepped forward and plastered a smile on his face. The basement. Okay, I've got five minutes. I'll take a look. Thank you, dearie. Let me show you the way. She turned and walked further into her cave. He followed, feeling the warmth of the sun through the glass slowly melt away as he rounds the corner of the hall and left it behind. He walked through a sitting room, as dusty and damp as the rest of the house. He soon emerged into a kitchen, dirty cups and plates piled high in the sink and upon every surface. But no knives, just plates and cups and occasional spoons. Dust was even beginning to sit upon them. He grew more uncomfortable. I'm sorry about the mess, Adrian. Had some guests over last night, had a chance to wash up yet. Adrian looked at the thin layer of dust over everything as he walked through. Why was she lying to him? They reached the end of the hall, darker and more gloomy than anything before, and a touch colder too. She reached out a curled, arthritic hand and pushed the door open. It groaned and swung. Before was a flight of stairs. They disappeared into darkness rather quickly. The light is just at the bottom. Just hold onto the balustrade as you go down. If you don't mind, I'll go put the jug on. I don't like going on stairs if I can avoid it. She gave him a smile that made him almost squirm. He smiled back at her and she swept away back into the house. He placed his bag down. He'd forgotten an extra set of flashlight batteries and he'd been cursing his mistake all day. First at Quincy Broker's house... We had to climb under his deck in search of a stray dog. Then at Richie Spot's shed, where he had pulled a fat old raccoon out of the roof, and now here. He reached out a hand and placed it on the old splintery handrail. He extended out a foot and placed it on the first step. This was clearly one of the more standard basements in the creek. A four metre or so deep concrete pit, with spindly wooden steps added as an afterthought it always seemed. Why not just concrete steps in and never need to worry about termites or anything like that? The steps accepted his weight with only a slight groan and he placed the other onto the same step. There were three more steps before the darkness grew too great and hid the rest from view. He savoured the light while it lasted. He took the next step. This one shuddered a little more. He took the next. This one barely shook at all. And he then he took the next. This one shuddered like the first. He was at the edge of the light now. He heard the sounds of Cheryl bustling around the house and the sound of her putting a record on. It sounded clear and vibrant. 
Some classical piece. She'd put it on at max volume, though. He could hear it very clearly from here. He shook his head. What would her neighbours think? The racket would drown out anything. He took the next step and found his foot falling through space. His hand tried to grip harder on the handrail, but his sweat-slick hand slipped, grinding a handful of splinters into his palm and tearing the skin before breaking free of the rails, comforting guidance. He toppled forwards, not onto more steps, but down, down into the darkness, down into the pit. He didn't even have time to shout. He only gasped before crashing to the ground, and all the air was driven out of him. A guttural groan peeled away from his lips as he lay on the ground. He felt the hot rush of blood begin to flow, and then the pain came. He had landed on something, lots of somethings, and they had transformed him into little more than a pincushion. He could feel them, dozens of knives sharpened and concreted into the floor just recently, and by removing the steps that weren't shown in the light had turned this basement into a death trap. He could feel several in his stomach, his chest, his arms and legs. He could feel one going through both of his cheeks, the handle pressing through the left and the tip just through the right. He spluttered as blood filled his mouth. He tried to shout, to scream, but nothing could be heard over the sound of the record player. And then he heard that voice reaching out over the unaccommodating air. Dinner's ready, sir. And everything was drowned in the music. a grisly sight. He is restrained to a metal chair, looking almost like a death row inmate. His wrists are strapped down and chains wrap around his torso and shins. Drips and vials are connected to him, slowly dripping away. The room is entirely tiled, almost like a public bathroom, but it looks like it has recently been washed down. It's all shining and glistening. You can see a few puddles of water here and there. The water has mixed with blood around the base of the chair and sits in grisly pools. There is what seems to be an operating table pushed to the side of the room. It too is a stomach-churning sight, flecked with blood and tools, scalpels, scissors, forceps and clamps sit in sterilising baths, tinged pink. Small pieces of flesh bubble up in the bath. The area where Weaver's lower jaw once was has been replaced with a sort of modified oxygen mask, the type they would use to knock out patients before operating, but his is giving straight oxygen. It has been modified to fit snugly and deliver oxygen clearly, despite the immense damage. You see two other cords, one coming from deep within his throat, the other coming from a small incision on the side of his head, run to a computer by the bars. One seems to run a modified Macintosh, 
The other is a brand of computer you have never seen before, titled Ilios. This one is easily twice the size of the Mac and is a charcoal black compared to the beige. They whirl and beep as information is fed into them. There is a pause as the two of you stare at each other. Hi. Oh boy. Oh. See, it's not that bad. Um, Tully. It's. Oh yeah, no, this is exactly what I wanted to see. While they're having this conversation, Liv has, while she's fallen to the ground, turned herself around, seen that it's Weaver, and started like crawling towards the glass like a baby. Being like, she's just like, I'm too weak to actually get up, so I'm just crawling along the ground towards I the gate. I would defeat him on my knees. <laughs> okay. She's gonna like use the bars to like clamber up, and she's like, oh, I see. I see they've made some modifications. Are you good there, Liv? I'm just vaguely freaking out. Liv. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Just right. come, come, come sit down. Yeah. Come, come, okay, over here. Some space away like from, from the nice Away from the jawless person, yeah. away um, from the mini colonel person. The Tully and... I think it's a major, actually. Uh, Tully and Bud, you want to roll for me real quick? Just a yes. quick... Uh, where's inspection. my dice? Three for Tully. Nine. Okay, Tully, you're helping Liv. Uh, buddy, you're turning your attention away from the, the doors, from the, um, the bars, and you see a clipboard hung up on a screw in the wall next to it. That could be important. Uh, I'll go and grab that. Okay, you grab it off, you see... <laughs> I love the idea of you saying that verbally out loud, Liv looking at you and being like, what's important? <laughs> I'll go and grab that. I'll go grab it for you. You know, oh, yeah. we're good. Right, we're just good. sit down here, it's all right. Yeah, you have a little look, and it's just a log of operations. Your eye is drawn to the most recent. There is pages of these. It reads, Previous operation at Mercy's Clinic was sloppy. Care was worse. Jaw has become infected. Surgery will be required to stop spread. Well, it looks like he's going to make it. That's good. Um, yeah, that's real encouraging. <laughs> We've got what looks like a, a, a... What do you call it, A medical report? A... Uh, Oh, oh, oh! Is that what that was? Yeah, it's a, yeah. on the. It says he was. He's got an infection, but I don't know, maybe it's taken care of or okay. something now. All right. Uh, well, I think we leave. That's what I think. Oh. Unless we're going to try and kill him. I uh, just throwing it out there. I mean, oh, I feel sick. even if we wanted yeah, to, both. I don't think we can get inside. I don't want to get inside. Oh, it looks like we don't All want right, to we're getting do out this. Here. Cool. Yep. I'll say I with your role from before, you see that near the where there was the clipboard, there is a metal door that is padlocked multiple times, and you can see that leads to another little compartment, and you can see a door in the far side of the um, the whatever operation room that Weaver is currently in is also a metal door that is locked as well. So, Liv- and you could probably assume with the length of it, there's probably more doors. Mm. It is like, yeah, as right. much security as he can make it. More yeah. Liz, oh, is- more doors. Liz, sorry, not Liz. Who's Liz? Liv <laughs> grabs onto their arms at this point because she's like hearing that they want to leave, and she's like, "Guys, Weaver needed protection." 
I don't He's think... He's a murderer. He killed two of our friends. No. Yes, he did. One of them we saw in front of us. The other one, he was killed by the people that he was controlling. The corrupted persona killed our friends. Weaver seems like a poor. He seems like a monster who is a murderer and... Either we kill him ourselves or we get out of here. Tully, these doors are either to keep him away from us yes. or to keep other people away from him. Do you understand that that means this man could be incredibly vulnerable? I mean, look at his condition! Guys, guys, look. Is there any reason maybe to, to talk to him? Then? I'm not going to talk. You can. I have I'm not going to stop you, but I'm not doing it. You that. have questions? I have questions. Wait, and what I... do you need to know? First of he all... He killed our friends! Liv, Tell they're me. dead because of him! And he points. As he points, there is a crackling voice that comes through a set of speakers connected to the computer. Stay in the shadows, little ones. Cheer the gallows. Because this is a roundup. This is a low-flying panic attack. And they know where you live. Oh, I hate riddles. Tully leans in. Does that sound like the voice of somebody we should be trusting? Weaver. Can I speak to Vesper, please? Your small persona person. You think I'm going to let him out? He has a loose tongue. Is that him speaking? Yes. I think so, yeah. You know, how does he... What? Well, he's wearing a mask. Maybe they put a microphone or something. He has no... He has no jaw. I, There's nothing there. I don't know, man. There's a green freaking thing over there with a Who's rounding monster. us up? Red crosses on wooden doors. If you float, you'll burn. You know who's rounding you up. Don't come to me with stupid questions. Yeah, I like Vesper better. Do you? He's obviously winding you up. Don't listen Liv, to me. Do you understand what he's saying? No, of course oh, cool. not. I thought I was the only one. He's winding you up because he's evil. Excuse me. Could you maybe say that in words that I could understand better? Please? You want me to dumb down what few words I have for you? Yes. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just, I'm not good at thinking on this, this direction. This... Abandon all reason, little man. Avoid all eye contact. Do not react. No, that didn't didn't help at all. Um, I have more questions now. I think I think he's trying to tell you that he wants you to stay away from Bates. Because clearly he doesn't. Is that like what you got from? Yeah, because I think he's trying to make us think that the Bates is behind all of this. Is that right? Well, he came, we we know he came here to kill Bates. We know that we were there. But this guy, he's trying to lay blame on Bates for what he clearly has done. He's destroying the town. He's killing people because of actually some. While we're while we're here, sorry, just 
We should ask what? Why, why he's trying to kill Bates. That feels okay. important. All right. Sure. Hey, was uh, what? Guys, guys, he doesn't like talking about Bates. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I mean, if if he were able to reach us, he might murder you for asking. Him to that was Vesper. Not me. Oh, okay then. So, hmm. you you you've come here, obviously very dedicated uh, to kill this person. Many have died uh, in the collateral, and you know it. It might be nice to know why we're caught up in the middle of this. He is the root of all. All evil. We are those chosen by God. Oh, that's rich. Not your God. Oh, okay, so there's multiple now. Is that what you're saying? So your God likes killing innocent people and taking over towns and pursuing someone to the end of hey, the earth t- and Tully, not... Tully, hey, hey, come, ah! come down. And he just walks away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ooh, he's off. He's going over to a cage and just kicks. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he kicks the cage. But the one where he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. He was looking at him like, wait, is that a guinea pig? It's just a normal guinea pig. <laughs> Why is there a guinea pig in a cage? It goes over to a little, like, uh, like fluid drinker and you feel, see it's full of pig's blood. <laughs> Oh, that's why it's in the case. <laughs> um, yeah. Liv is just going to calmly walk until she is completely directly in front of Weaver, as much as she can be with the cage separating. And she's going to ask, where is Orlando? Do you know? The mad scientist. I don't know. He comes and goes to tinker with me, with his things, and then he goes... Is there a rhythm to how long he is gone? I've been here a day. I do not know yet his rhythm. Hmm. Your people were here before. Years ago. Hundreds of years. How do you know that? Do you know anything about Liv. When he asks, Liv just holds up the notebook. She nearly slaps Tully in the face with it as she's like... Mike as well. (laughs) She's just like... It's in the records. My people's history is long. We've been fighting this battle for a long time. In what are you fighting? The forefathers. The reason why everything's so stuffed up is because of them. Do you mean Mr. Bates? He is the last. And I was so close, but I got cocky. I could have had him. The last? We've exterminated the rest, as we were told. Um, Tully walks a little, like, turns and walks back towards him. He's like, What possible reason do you have for pursuing an innocent man to the ends of the earth? I'm not even talking about my friends that you killed. I'm talking about this old, 
blind man who's trying to settle down in a quiet town. For some reason, you come here and you destroy people's lives for some ancient vendetta that you're not even about? What is that? What what reason do you have to want him dead? Seriously, tell me, because I don't understand. Because from my perspective... Your perspective is meaningless. What a surprise. Go back to your corner and kick more boxes, boy. Are you going to answer my question or not? Fuck you. He turns back to Olivia. Tally <laughs> <laughs> goes back to his corner. <laughs> it just grumbles. I just love the fact that even though Liv is not in any way, shape, or form like friendly towards Weaver, she's the almost the only one that he's willing to communicate with. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tally wants to kill him. Like, yeah, true. So I wouldn't talk to me either. Fair. Liv is at least not hostile. <laughs> And Buddy's there. Buddy's here. Buddy's here. But I feel like Buddy heads like Tully a brownie. He's like, hey, hey, you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> he takes the brownie, <laughs> scrunches it in his hand, and then throws it at your face. Punch him. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. You just oh, hear like I mean... a slight gasp from Luke. She's like, <gasps> and then she looks back to Weaver and she's like, okay, yes, you were saying. <laughs> it's like right as the, it's like, oh, the brownie. It hurts, man. Who are you? Where are you? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Liv is going to just kind of like hold up her hands and be like, essentially, what I want to know is you speak of Bates as if he is a species of something. What does his kind do? Why do you seek to wipe his kind from the face of the earth? He is the forefathers. The last of the race of forefathers. They were before all of us. You must understand. Our world is different to what it should be. Once it was all conjoined. There are layers of reality. And once they were all one. And the forefathers were given the responsibility to watch over it. Given that responsibility by the last kingdom. And they betrayed them. They rallied the people of the layers and stormed the final kingdom, nearly burning it to the ground. Because of them, we all live separately now. A world that should be conjoined is broken in pieces. That was their punishment. To be broken and to have no place to wander. And we were given the responsibility of making them pay for what they did. Their power is to control, to manipulate. And they did it to their own will. To become gods. We make them pay. Because now we are the silent layer. We are shepherdless. We are left in the dark because of them. Our friend, Jack. He died while you were trying to, you know, kill Mr. Bates. 
before he died, he brought us here because he said people weren't who they were. And something about the eyes. Their eyes are different. And people, yeah, not acting the same. And what is that? What are you trying to stop with? Like, you're going on about forefathers and different kingdoms or like but here and now in this town something seems to be happening it seems to be related to Mr. Bates what exactly is that that you're talking about what is happening to the people the forefathers are the root of all evil because they create something much worse when they take control of someone they turn them into a forerunner the great ancestor to all evil to werewolves vampires or shape changers and tongue twisters he is doing that to your town he is taking these people and he is turning them into his slaves more monster than man And you can see it in their eyes. He's a cancer, and they defend the cancer. They only have eyes for him. And if you look close enough, you can see it. Weaver, I know this is of little consolation and of little meaning to you, because you don't regard our kind very highly. We are the same kind. What? We are hunters. We are the best of mankind. The best fighters. This is my family line. You're... You're human? I am. Then what about the, the... The personas? The corrupted personas? They are my ancestors. Our souls belong to the Harbinger. Our work is never finished. Until they're all gone. So you... and your ancestors... will be freed... if we kill Bates. Maybe. The Harbinger is not a pleasant man. There is always more work. But that is always the dream. Why did Vesper say that this town would be in more danger if... And I'm, I'm calling him Vesper merely because I don't have any other name for him. But your persona, why did he say that if the personas get to Bates, they will corrupt him and it will mean more danger for this town? I was weak. So they dropped me. They went with a new plan. He is the last and they want to make a meal of it. A feast. Can they do that? It's somewhere where there won't be casualties? I don't care about casualties. They 
Bates. This is about destroying Bates, destroying everything he stands for, everything he's fought for, everything he is. It's about dragging him down to our level. Dragging him down to a hell of his own making, and then showing him what he's made. They wanted him to kill me because that would enact his fall quicker. Send him down that road quicker. Other than me, Bates has never killed a man. And the act would tarnish him. Weaver, my apologies, but I hadn't realized. Were, were you taken by Orlando before Bates could get to you? Yes. He cottoned on to the scheme and decided he wanted a piece of it. Who? Who shot Willow? I did not see. You weren't there. I was taken a few moments after you left. I was taken to a car out back. You drove me away. Thank you. That explains a few things. I appreciate your candor. They know where you live. Abandon all reason. Avoid all eye contact. Do not react. Maybe. Just maybe. If all of you work together, you might be able to do something here. Remember, little ones. They know where you live. I remember as I was reading through Orlando's notes, something about the ash protecting against supernatural events in Salem's Lodge. That is where we live. How can they get to us there? There are always people inside. Devils within the walls. Oh. Never think your fortress is forever safe. And wood burns. I would be inclined to swear, but thank you. <clears throat> Alright. I think I have just about exhausted my capacity to contain myself now. Um, do any of the rest of you want to roll real quick? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm roll for rolling. <laughs> Five. Five. Okay, you're kind of moseying around in the back area. You've knocked a few things over. <laughs> He's stuff. like less angry now. He's just yeah, ignoring being what's going destructive. on. Destructive. Yeah. Um, and you come around to a corner of the room and you find a flight, like a it's basically a builder's ladder that has been like drilled into the wall that goes directly ah, okay. up. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, when, one, when Liv says that she's um, kind of done, he sort of steps towards you and goes, uh, I think I found the way out, so. Thank you, Telly. We should probably get going when you're ready. Weaver, 
If I don't see you again, thank you. You have been a great help. If you can run, run. All else is darkness. You mean leave mercy? There is no Mercy's Creek anymore. She's been dead since he arrived. It's just been slow. you guys slowly finish up your conversation and you leave the grisly site of Weaver and begin to head up this uh yeah we're we're gonna leave everything the way that we found it okay okay except for the except for the notebook and like any other materials that Liv can get her hands on she's like okay all of the paper I'm taking everything else leave it as is so that it takes him the longest time ever to figure out what's happened okay so crumpled brownie on the floor (laughs) (laughs) you um yeah so you step back and you flick off the light switch uh casting Weaver into blackness again and you make your way up the uh what's it called ladder up, 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 and you're... Uh, who's going first? Uh, Buddy will go last and insist... Uh, probably Buddy will insist that Liv goes first, and then he'll yep. help Tully Because she's got the torch, yep. too. Okay. So, so you're going... would have waited for her. Yep. You're going up, 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 bang, as your head <laughs> hits into wood. <laughs> okay. You good, Liv? You all right? Yeah, there's, there's just something... Above, I didn't see it. Oh, that's wood. Okay. So you flick the torch around and you find a little latch and you click it open and you push it open and you climb out and it takes you a second as the rest of them climb out as well. It takes you a second to work out where the hell you are. You have exited in the middle of the gazebo that is on the grounds of Salem's Lodge. Just outside the back, near the kind of like games area and patio position. I will point out Chester has made us very nice maps. Yeah, I was about to say, look at these very convenient maps with the gazebo conveniently labelled for us. They're A3 as well, very fancy. Yeah, they're Mm. very fancy. Good quality paper. Yeah, I feel spoiled. (laughs) I feel like I'm on a real podcast. (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't that be the dream? (laughs) And as you were climbing up and uh, live, you're like, I should probably close this just to, like, to make sure that no one falls down. As you uh, uh, knock it over, as you look over and see Tuck Marsh smoking in the patio area. <laughs> and Jess, like, coming through the door as well. Is he looking at us? I assume so. <laughs> Liv just kind of looks up at him like the deer caught in headlight situation. <laughs> Buddy, Buddy doesn't see them. He's facing the other way and just shouts like really boldly, man, who would have thought this tunnel would have led to Salem's <laughs> What a coincidence that is. Oh, that's so good. Isn't that right, guys? You just see Liv like... Like her head smacks back mid of that, and she like almost smacks him in the mouth with like the movement of her head. <laughs> Being like, no, 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 no. Tully just looks at Tuck, he's like, Oh, there you are. I wondered where you got to. Tuck is just sort of brows furrowing, 
trying to figure out. Very haggard looking okay, like mm. wide-eyed and like, no. Why are our friends coming out of a hole? Tully kind of walks um, out of the gazebo, like into the sun and like dusts himself off a bit. He's like, uh, Frank Hill, some guy called Orlando lives in the caravan park. Caravan park, hole, gnome, tunnel. Yep. There is a pause, Tully. You're uh, enjoying the, the kind of warming of the sun. And then you look up and a shiver does run down your spine as you make the realisation, ah, oh, it's afternoon. The sun's going down. Right. Great. Um, Jess, you're like looking at this as they're coming through and then you hear John Campbell uh, calling from for you from over in the like employee parking area. Jess, Jess, hey, what? Where are you guys? Yeah, yo, here. Hi, you're you're right. Yeah. He um, beckons you over and you walk over and you find that what he's been doing basically all day. He um, came and picked like toted for you basically from the oh, um, <laughs> yeah from Mercy's uh, what do I call it? Clinic. Clinic. Yeah, so yeah. I had that. Picked up from there, and he's in the process of like rebuilding a part of the engine of the F1 truck. And it's like, he's got like, he's holding a a, um, a pencil in his mouth. Like, this is not quite my area of expertise. It's a big job. Yeah. Uh, I passed the fuel line. Mostly just tape, but oh should my, work. Oh my <laughs> oh my god. If you can make her run again, I will. I don't know, give you. I love it. Please save it. Uh, Tuck is gonna tap John on the shoulder. She's gonna run over and just start, like, patting the truck. <laughs> my baby! Literally, this truck is her second child. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional damage. <laughs> I failed my first time. I won't fail I will you. Fail this one. <laughs> Yikes. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna tap John on the shoulder and just hold out my hand. Keys, please. Ah, right. There you go. No, know. not the car. I want the master keys for the hotel. Why? Give him. No, no. <laughs> I run the place. John, give me the keys. No. <laughs> Doc, why do you need do, like, keys? A <laughs> do I think I need to make an intimidation yeah. check? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have not been doing no. that. Would you like Tuck is just, sw- Tuck is just swaying slightly. <laughs> With lack of sleep and hasn't eaten since yesterday morning. John, like, pats John, you on the shoulder. Give me the keys. <laughs> and, like, it's like, and pats you on the chest. It's like, it's been a rough time, man. <laughs> no, no. I think you right. need a rest. I will look down. Is there a hammer anywhere on the ground in his toolkit? Sure. All right, I'm just going to pick that up. I'm going to walk back into the hotel. <laughs> Good kneecaps intact. <laughs> John's here following me like, yeah, uh, yeah, Tug, will you do that? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Tug, come, come. No, no. 
Not the glass! <laughs> the one and only time John Campbell will ever shout. <laughs> Not the glass! Um, John comes out a few moments later holding the hammer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and looking a little annoyed. And he looks to all of you and like, So, uh, you guys ready for the meeting? I, the, I the really meeting? need a shower. Um, I haven't had a shower in two days. Wait. Make it snappy. Yeah, I'm it's down. In like a few minutes. <laughs> wait, hang on. Sorry, catch me. Which meeting was this? Town hall meeting, monthly, you know. Oh. The big one. Tully waits at the back door of the lodge. Buddy pulls it open and the two of them head in. Yeah, I'm going to need a shower as well. Okay, mm. we cut 15 <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> Can we have just one smash cut of while everyone else is having a shower? Tuck has. Uh, Okay, so here's a question. We've only been on level one where all of our rooms are. Mm-hmm. The second floor up, the top floor of... Yeah. Is there stairs I can find leading up to it? Uh, roll for me. Seven. Uh, you find one of those... It's like a large rectangular cutout in the ceiling of the main kind of hall uh, entrance bit in the second floor uh, that mm. you would normally pull down to... Uh, pull down a flight of like steps basically but there's no string and it's about three meters up all right does it still look like there's a hook like there would be a pole with a hook instead yes i'm gonna search for that okay and it's a nine okay you find it you know how they're like like you know door frames and all that type of stuff it is lying just on top of the main door frame to enter into the uh extra meeting room so you pull that off you have a little look at it. it's been taped up a few times it's quite old it's made of the same wood that the walls are and all that type of stuff you go over you latch it onto the top and pull it down a flight of stairs creak out okay i'm gonna go up Yep. You slowly make your way up, uh, holding onto the, the stick, uh, either as a defense weapon or just in case it closes again on you, uh, and you enter into the loft. So the loft is quite large. It's about the same footprint size as the first floor, but because of the way it's it's a, uh, an arched roof, basically the sides are useless. The corners go too low and all that type of stuff. So you start... You come up into here and it is dusty. There are a few carpets around. There's like some lamps. There is a single bed with a few bookcases around it and a desk with a bunch of like research findings and that type of stuff. Um, you have to have a little look more. Uh, the main thing you notice is just about every surface is covered with a mirror. Can and I- these are like cheapo mirrors bought from like bargain marts and all that type of stuff none of them really match there's just mirrors everywhere can I see any signs of like inhabitation like someone is living in here yeah someone was probably here last night the bed's been recently made it's not dusty there's a window slightly open with a blown out candle is there alright I'm just gonna make I don't have any intelligence I'm gonna make intelligence check for what is the most important thing I should be looking for because I'm aware that I'm going to have to leave very soon. Mm. Nat one. Nat one. You're like, yeah. Nice candle. Yeah, you're like, mm, desk. Desk probably has good desk things. So you go over to the desk and you're having a look around. You're pushing documents around and you uh, pick up a folder, just empty it out of the desk, throw the folder away and then you look down. Roll again for me. Five. 
have a better dice. Oh, inspiration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I have a D4, someone? Yeah, there, there ah. go. There's, there's Buddy's D4. Three. Hey. So, what's that? Eight. Eight. You recognize Jack Finney's handwriting, and you recognize Willow Holmes's handwriting. Hmm. You just realize you have emptied out a copy of the folder that Willow had. All right. Sneaky. And you start to look around and you remember stuff that Willow said. That every piece of newspaper, every book, every document that had ever been about Salem's Lodge had been slowly over the years stolen from the local library. And you see them all here. You see a book of Mercy Creek history. You see a newspaper about uh, the burning of the Goodwill, like anniversary of the burning of the Goodwill Mansion. All this type of information. Mm. And you make the realization whoever this Orlando was has been collecting this information. Is you goddamn freak in the attic, mate? <laughs> I'm also gonna click back to. I believe I was there for the conversation where uh, Buddy said that someone was watching him. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, I'm going to take the stuff that has Jack's handwriting and Willow's handwriting I'm going to look through the desk for some kind of marker yep you find uh, just a normal yellow marker I'm going to write on one of the mirrors in whatever way I can that makes it very visible we need to talk Um, and then just sign my name at the bottom and my my room number okay and I'm going to go back downstairs. Okay. We now cut to the outside of the town hall. So what have you guys caught everyone up on information-wise? Have you guys had a chance to talk? Uh, Do you all know Liv- about the Mr. Bates conversation? Do you all know about the other one? Liv has gone to directly to Jess because she knows that Jess wants all kinds of information that she can get at the moment because she feels confused and conflicted about everything. Hey. And she was like, we found this notebook. And, like, they started reading through it together. And then she explained the whole conversation that she had with Weaver. And she's like, what did you end up with? Like, I, you said that you went with Bates. What did he try to convince you of? I mean, Weaver's one of, well, not one of us, but he's a human. So my inclination is to believe maybe not all of what he says, but most, some, more than Bates. I don't know. Well, I kind of want to side on Bates this, on this one. He's trying to help the town. He could just be telling you that. You know that, right? No, I, I think he's actually trying to. Uh, with that, <laughs> Liv is going to look deeply into Jess's eyes. Uh, she has sunglasses on. <laughs> does she? She does. Look at the, con- not concept art, look at, look at the... It is nighttime. It is nighttime. Jess always has her glasses on. <laughs> it's oh. a nat one. No, it's a no, seven. No, that's a seven. I can that's read seven. numbers. But, um, is seven. it pluses for, like, intelligence? We'll go intelligence because you now know that you're meant to be looking for something. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Plus two to intelligence, that's nine. Uh, 
I mean, it's, they're Jess's eyes. She's looking at you. You can see yourself reflected in them. She's like, all right, so the wall's been pulled over your eyes, but you're not one of them. Hmm. She's not one of them. Not yet. Not yet. Um, okay, so... Did, were you having that, just so that we know, were you having that, to, like, privately? Yeah, or was that a private did we listen to that as uh, well, that Basically, my mental image of it was I finished my, like Liv finished her shower went to Jess and they were kind of speaking outside their room. I and could see you... us walking down the hallway down yeah. to the car park yeah. having So we weren't as a group while you were discussing that. No, 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 we were discussing it and then we probably would have picked you guys up because Bud is yeah. right across from Jess's room. We'll just say yeah. that you all have been generally caught up, maybe not mm. on individual details mm. of yeah. what the conversations with each person were but you guys generally know these two had a talk with Bates and like they didn't get a heap of information. Uh, this Mostly lot had, riddles. Yay. And Yay. then this lot got a conversation with Weaver. Also riddles. Well, Yay. some riddles. Some riddles. A lot of some really good information. information. <laughs> I mean, these guys got information as well. Tuck would not have told them what he told Bates about his... I'm going to take all of you out you yeah, wouldn't sure. have told yeah, them that yeah. Jess potentially might have mentioned that Jess Tuck, tell not. us what he just found in the, the loft no I'm imagining no, this is he wouldn't all, have right, we saw just that. as you guys are heading down he went there yeah so, Jess, and didn't tell us yeah cool Jess was very vague um, basically like she was trying to say she's leaning more towards um, like what Mr. Bates is saying because um, she generally believes that he's got best interest. Like, she knows that he's probably not the most trustworthy person. Um, but she's like, for the next 48 hours, she's putting her, basically betting on him instead of betting on Weaver. Mm. Okay. You walk along the main street, the glow of the sun beginning to set, casting long, deep shadows across the street. This feels more like a summer evening. Those golden sunsets that slowly dissolve into warm nights, where you would sit by your windows trying to capture any hint of a breeze. The air is far too chilled for a feeling like that, but the emotion is there. You cross and begin climbing the steps to the town hall. So I'm guessing you're all moving as a group? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're only up a few steps when most of you feel hands on your shoulders. Oh. Uh, You turn around to find uh, the very angry... Uh, members of Tyr and the agency who have spent the last few hours searching for where the hell you all oh, went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Pansy, Pansy, hey, I have to tell you so many things. Ah, <laughs> hey, Warwick. I found you at last. That heart and soul thing's been going all right. Liv is literally just trying to see Buddy. around Warwick being like, Pevensey, Pevensey, Pevensey. I promise Pevensey's I'm not trying at, to cut the power. You can see Pevensey's at the back. <laughs> like kind of a bit downcast because he's clearly had like his own <laughs> yell- like yelling at <laughs> you guys Warwick. literally slipping out beneath his nose <laughs> Warwick is standing like fists on hips and he's looking at Buddy Buddy <laughs> we... I'm disappointed in you Warwick, uh, I took what you said and you know took it to heart no, to you took license, buddy. And, I mean, we we have some... Well, we should be like, I'm never going to have an apprentice that's this unwieldy. <laughs> <laughs> if I take someone under my wing and give them advice, I expect better. 
I, I found. I felt like we had something here, I, I and you so betrayed too. my trust. Look, I, I, we found some information that could be helpful. We know where. Uh, uh, oh, what was his name again? Weaver. Weaver. We know where he is. So Emily is just going to stand in front of Warwick. She's going to like just poke him just under the rim so that he like puts his arms down so that she can step past (laughs) the thing that we're most concerned about is the fact that you as civilians have left effectively witness protection and you've gone straight back to the two most dangerous people in this situation with no protection with no guarantee that what they have told you is trustworthy In fact, we would be expecting them to try to manipulate you in any way they can. Gideon uh, stands next to Emily. You're essentially dealing with two separate parties of a war, both trying to sway as many people to their sides as they possibly can. They will say anything and do anything. We were in the process of monitoring Bates when you all came up and started talking to him. We thought we were going to have to intervene. You realise anything could have happened there. At the back of this group... Tuck is going to sidle up to Tully with a cigarette in his mouth, patting his pockets. He's just going to say, hey, do you have a lighter? A lighter? Uh, Cards? I don't think Tully smokes. No, I don't. I I think I I did have one in my other jacket, but that one has blood on it. So, no, sorry. Okay. I don't don't touch it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's not lit. He doesn't have a lighter. <laughs> oh, it's just seeing the cigarette <laughs> makes him instinctually gag. That's wrong. <laughs> All right. Okay. And what we get. As I was saying, very disappointed in all of you. That's why I don't have children. Tully does the whole like tap. Yeah, pay attention <laughs> to Tuck. He's like, yeah. Just that looks guy? at her feet, sad. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's not our fault that there was a hole in a caravan. He fell what? down it. <laughs> It was a no. We can take you there. Um, Emily, we we essentially had Weaver tell us to get out. Two parties in a war trying to win people to their side. Wouldn't you think that he would want us fighting rather than running? I think both Weaver, well... We've been doing our own research. To put it plainly, Weaver wants you to see it as a war. Bates wants you to see it as an extermination. Neither of those things are true. What is true? The truth is we have an unverified preternatural creature who has some form of psychic domination and we have an extremely powerful psychotic hunter who has murdered dozens of innocent people trying to kill him. We're going to take both of them into custody under observation until we know how best to deal with them. There isn't going to be a war. If, if, so, sorry ma'am, if, if it helps, uh, Weaver did give Mr. Bates a name. He called him, uh, and he pulls out the little flip book. Forefather. Uh, yeah, what he said. A forefather. 
Yeah. And he said something about creating four runners. Four runners of all kinds of supernatural creatures. Werewolves, vampires, any of the like. And he said that that's what Bates is doing. Oh, and, and he mentioned different planes? Yeah, different planes of existence, which sounded a little bit loopy to me, but... Well, there was a theory that all lycanthropes were of the same family, but that has been, since been debunked. Well, thank you, Ben, but I'm not saying that they're all related. I'm saying that forerunners can be any shape or size of any form of supernatural creature. They don't need to be related. They just all come back to this point, to a forefather creating a forerunner, which then can turn into anything. I just here. want Emily to like smile at Liv being like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Not to, no to that. Uh, <laughs> Emily smiles. Yes, that is a fair point. We have a plan. And we're going to cut this off before it starts. Or rather, before there can be any more conflict than there already has been. But it's a delicate process. Whatever hold Bates has over members of the public, we don't know if that can be reversed. Killing him may do immeasurable damage to them, but we also don't know if removing him will return them to any sense of what they used to be. Rest assured, we're in the process... We're not playing catch-up here. We're waiting for the right time to strike. But it's very important, she starts looking around at all of you making individual eye contact, that we know what you are doing and where you are. You throw our plans out of whack every time you disappear. We can't have civilians running into fire. Do you understand? That's one yes. I'd like it from the rest of you. Liv just kind of elbows Tully. <laughs> I have a bruise there. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I get it. Glaring at Buddy. <laughs> Buddy's really mulling it over. Warwick steps closer. <laughs> <laughs> That's his breathing sound. <laughs> 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 He's about to interject with like a and then looks up to just Warwick who somehow is like is somehow lower down on the steps than him but still towering over him. Uh, yes sir. Man. No he's saying no. yes sir oh, to Warwick. Oh okay. I thought he was saying yes sir to Emily. I'm like Jens. Then yeah then turns down. Yes Ma'am. Jessica. Fine. Where is Mr. Marsh? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> um, you all turn around to see Cornelius Mendoza has enfolded a tuck in his arms and <laughs> he's is leading tuck, him completely tuck, 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 all tuck, the tuck. agents. <laughs> yeah. All of that. And he's leading him into the entrance hall, like gesturing at like the lights that they've set up. And it's like, oh, yeah, looks great. <laughs> finally, Marsh, you finally got here. Look at the place. It looks amazing. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so you all go. Are you into wearing the- perfume? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's favorite stuff. Yeah. It's called so, YouTube like, just Chanel. A <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Behind the ears. Just it back. <laughs> okay, so you all walk into the entrance hall, a room you're all rather familiar with by now, filled with display cases, hardwood flooring. Uh, trophy cases line the walls featuring items and photos from the town's past. The slow trickle of townsfolks leads you onto a large open door made of thick wood and opening out as two doors to what looks like a courtroom, but the table has been placed before the judge's bench and witness stand to the side of the jury box. A line of chairs are behind the table with a speaking platform in front of the table. The townsfolk are taking their places in the rows and rows of seats before the table. Cheryl, the assistant to Dr. King, and the doctor before him hands you a series of newsletters and this little documents and a little ballot thing for you to fill out. She smiles warmly at you, remembering most of your names, surprisingly. Uh, her arthritis hands shake a little bit as she hands them to you and you have to kind of pry the pieces of paper out of her hands. But she's doing the best job that she can and she directs you to a line of chairs. Emily waits at the door, scanning the room. Ben Mears makes his way to the very front seats eyes consistently darting around the room. Pevensey joins you in your row and Warwick joins Emily at the door. Gideon is currently waiting at the front steps, keeping watch for Bates or the persona. You take your places towards the back and you wait. Is Jess allowed to sit with her mum? I was going to say... find her mum? I was just going to... Okay, sorry. I'm interrupting. How dare you? (laughs) Kate, I have a plan. Get out of the podcast. Kate, for the second time today, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Can you sit closest to the door? Yeah. And the handle is perfect height for me. Yeah, you don't even need to get up. You just scoot over. Yeah, just scoot over. Slide your way out. Thank you. You take your place towards the back and you wait. Slowly the seating fills. You see many familiar faces. Your old high school teachers. Jess, you see your mother who waves to you before sitting towards the front. You see your father who beams at you before taking his place at the selectman table. Um, Soon the other selectmen take their places. Mabel Goss, the high school principal, Edgar Poe. Tuck, you you nicknamed him The Pug. (laughs) And the nickname has stuck ever since. He literally can't get rid of it. The Pug. The Pug. Yep, uh, Dr. King soon joins him, Jack's old boss, and he takes his seat. Several others arrive, newer additions who you don't really recognise. You notice two empty seats at the far left-hand side of the table, though. Seats reserved for Father Brunswick and Sheriff Whitaker. Soon the crowd grows quiet as Cornelius Mendoza arrives at the speaker's platform and addresses the crowd. Thank you everybody for coming to Mercy's Creek's monthly town meeting. Hopefully you all got your uh, newsletter from Cheryl as you came in. If you didn't, just raise your hand. Uh, we'll have someone coming around. Now before we start, uh, typically we get uh, Father Brunswick to give us a quick prayer. Uh, but he's n- unable to visit us today, so... Uh, We'll just uh, skip on right ahead. You hear a kind of chorus of grumbles from the older people in the town at this announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Catholics. They don't believe in our Catholicism. Jess's mum is one of those. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just secretly Orlando in the background. Catholicism. (laughs) Uh, We're also missing uh, Darcy Whitaker. He uh, filed his uh, resignation uh, this morning, so uh, that also means uh, him as a selectman, so uh, he will not be joining us. 
Uh, while he's in recovery, uh, at the moment we'll have a round of applause for Derek Harlow rising to the position of sheriff. Uh, and therefore, selectman. He turns to Jess's father and chuckles. Ah, ah, I will deal with two Arlo's, I have no idea. It's important to mention the uh, recent string of tragedies that have befallen our town and a uh, series of worrisome events. I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. King to come and speak uh, on them for me. As previously said, uh, Sheriff Darcy is no longer with us. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's just uh, taking a trip. <laughs> not to the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, keep going. Not, not that kind of trip. He's gone on holiday. Not but that kind of trip. A permanent <laughs> holiday, but not that kind of permanent <laughs> holiday. Just keeps it. Not to the farm. <laughs> Dr. King, please. Listen, I'm just going to sit down. Yeah. I'll just take my seat, Dr. King. Okay. King arrives at the speaker's stand and addresses the crowd. Uh, tragedy is the only word for it. Mercy's Creek hasn't seen such events since, well, ten years ago. The brutal killings at the hand of Reed Cliff of many of our young folk. It appears we've fallen under a similar shadow once again. It's already cost us. Jack Finney, brave, honest young man who I had the great privilege of working with for many years. There have been reports of two other deaths, but as the Sheriff's Department is in a bit of a state at the moment, I have not been able to get confirmation on these. It's times like these where the shadow over our great town seems so unmovable, so unspeakable, but we need unity. I understand... We have received many letters and phone calls from concerned townsfolk as to what will be the operations of schools after this, uh, how this will affect business, who is to blame, what is to become of Mercy's Creek. The highly publicised events of Reed Cliff more or less destroyed our entire tourism industry and cost this town greatly. I understand the fear, but we will get to this in question time. But first, we have an announcement to make. At this, Jess's father and Mendoza walk out of the room together as if to fetch something. King looks back to the townsfolk. It has been long debated the function of the current selectment system of Mercer's Creek. We have toyed with the idea of the whole having a mayor or even breaking apart and joining with neighbouring towns. But the issues of this system come to a head in such crises as this. This is why, apart from our two missing selectmen, we as a collective took it to a vote and we came to a unanimous decision that under these situations we needed a united leader, a sole leader, the selectman. You see all those at the table rise and look to the door. Because in times of darkness, in times of disaster, we must be strong. We must be united. Many of you will have met him by now, some of you may not. Don't worry. He has proven himself to be exactly what this town needs. You see Mendoza and Mr. Harlow come back, each holding the arm of the man they are walking with. Jess, your mouth goes dry as you see your father with him. They lead him to the speaking platform and he looks out over the townsfolk. Then it began. The clapping. 
Starting with the selectmen, it then spread through the room like a virus. Some of the townsfolk looked around confused, shocked even. The selectmen never reach any form of decision. It's one of the reasons why the town has stalled so much. Olivia, you notice AK off in the corner. She is scribbling on a notebook and looking around, looking to the selectmen, looking to you, trying to understand what your reaction is. Liv just furiously shakes her head, being like, this is not good. But nearly every single one of them rises from their seats and breaks into thunderous applause. The sounds grow from rumbles into an utter thunderstorm, almost maddening in its repetition. Cheers ringing out over the tumultuous applause as Mr Bates smiles calmly at the crowd. As they die away, he smiles and raises his hands. Ladies and gentlemen of Mercy's Creek, I take up this great responsibility with a heavy heart, knowing that it is only because of this town has been made so desperate that I'm even needed here. But isn't desperation so key to our very lives? We constantly move from failure to failure, disaster to disaster, war to war. Our faith in each other, in our gods, in ourselves has been shaken so many times we are little more than pebbles when we should be strong walls. Life is hard and it only gets harder. First the world betrays you, then your very body betrays you. Slowly decaying while you're still trying to use it. But is that not core to our humanity? What it means to be alive? A man walks through his life. He stumbles and he falls. At times he thinks he cannot get up. But he does. Over. Over. Until one day, when the man cannot hold up the sky falling all around him anymore, and he reaches his journey's end. Who will save your skin? Who will let the healing light come in? When the world itself is on fire, you must brace yourself for all you are going to pay. But know this. Help is on the way. Only together, as the sky begins falling all around us, as it begins crashing in, can we cover each other and make it through the night. So take my hand. Let me help you with your burdens. And trust me with your town. And let's cast aside these shadows. The tide is rising, and when it does... Nothing will be as it was. My name is Mr. Bates. And the world may have broken you. But I shall rebuild you.
The night's meeting drew to an early close. There was no Q&A. The town folk seemed disinterested in further debates. Some left the town hall gossiping and discussing this new turn of events. Some seemed disgruntled by an outsider taking such a position within the town. Comments of paying off the selectmen darted around. But these comments were few and far between. Most left without a word. In an orderly manner. The selectmen and Bates had left almost immediately after Bates' speech. Meaning, Jess, you didn't get a chance to speak to your father. And Tia never got a chance to act. As you leave your seats, an uncomfortable feeling takes you. A deep shiver up your spine. As you notice many eyes on you. Far too many. From small glances to outright staring, there is an underlying hostility as you leave. By the time you all reach Gideon on the front steps, the town hall is shutting down. Lights being uh, flicked and doors locked. Before you even made it to the street, you all quickly notice the town is dead. Not a single car is left on the street. You recall hating town meeting nights as all the adults would convene outside the hall once it was finished to discuss, gossip and argue for what seemed like hours. Yet the street is entirely empty, like a town clearing before a gunfight in a western. It appears as if everyone wished to get home as quickly as possible. Possibly due to the recent events and the killing of Jack Finney, but there is something unnatural about it all at the same time. Even the rumble of the river sounds distant and subdued, as night has once again taken the town like a thief in the night. You hear the pitter-patter of paws as your newly adopted dog runs over from King's General Practice. You realise, yeah, we haven't fed you today. Because <laughs> it's like looking up at Buddy and like sniffing at his pockets where he can smell brownies. <laughs> and Buddy's like, no, no, not for you. Not chocolate. Anyone who would give you chocolate would be a monster. Ooh, got him! <laughs> Jalapeno poppers, that's where it's at. <laughs> Net 12. Tuck's pretty sure you mean him. <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know, Buddy is saying this completely unrelated because he has no idea that Tuck did that. Um, okay, what would you guys like to talk about? <clears throat> so Tia is with you now. They were all kind of convened with you as well. So now what? Do we get to go home or are you going to babysit us again? Well, if Weaver is to be believed, home is not a safe place because well, they know no where we're we safe, okay? So, you know. Better we we're s- all together. Well, we did never find that o- Orlando guy. Hmm. Where did he go? Pevensey is going to come over and ask for the little notebook from you. Mm. Liv's going to hand it over and be like, oh, are you sure you want to read it? Uh, well, I suppose if we're looking for this uh, Orlando guy, he clearly doesn't live, well, we assume he doesn't live in the caravan park, and he wasn't in the lab, so maybe maybe he'll come back to the lodge. It's possible. You do start to wonder, where's John? Where's John Campbell? Where's our ride? (laughs) Emily, you said that you needed to know where we would be. And quite frankly, now I don't know what to do, where to go, how to best help. I think we should at least all agree that we're all going to go the same place and stay there. We need to not run off in pairs like we did today. We need to 
stay together. Well, the stakes have changed now. Well, yeah, even more reason for us to make sure we're always together. Mm. Well, we should probably just go back to the lodge, right? Like, I mean, yeah, my stuff's still there, your stuff's still there. And then we might have a chance of seeing the... the uh, what's his name? Orlando seemed to think that it's the safest place. We sit out in the night and then in the morning maybe we can... Weaver did say that it wouldn't be safe forever. Well, okay, sure, but he was... I mean, I think he was trying to freak us out. And if he's right, then, well, the lodge is no more dangerous than anywhere else, surely. Well, I know where Mr. Bates is going to be sleeping tonight. If I know Tia wants, I have a bed available there and I can keep an eye on him. Mm. On your own? No, that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> Do you think I would be too conspicuous? Mm-hmm. Gideon, Gideon <laughs> looks at you. <clears throat> You're uh, uh, six foot nine, three thousand pounds. Don't take this the wrong way. I don't think you can get that. through the door. Coming well, from somebody who's very conspicuous myself, you are the most conspicuous man I have ever met, and I've met Cornelius. I'll have you know I worked in undercover operations for the military. You I did? was very good at it. Really? Well... Yes. <coughs> knowing my mum, if I bring back any guy and say he's my boyfriend, she will 100% let him in. Arms open. I don't want to do that, but hey. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, it's yep. a strong offer. Yeah, it, it, it would work. <laughs> Warwick's a strong man. Yeah, she actually would be very proud of him. Annoyingly too much. Mm. No offense, but how old are you, Mr. Warwick? Mm. Old enough. No. Let me think. For consent? <laughs> At least 18. 81, 79, 78. Eh, I forget exactly. I, I don't know if anyone would buy you two specifically. Uh, no, well, I kind of uh, buy it. We could say that Warwick is really rich, and I've heard All right, that I'm uncomfortable with this now. A lot in the city. Buddy, just shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I've seen a lot of people come into a nightclub, and, you know, they got an older guy on their arms. Okay, I can I take Buddy as my dad. I've had a traumatic enough week already, okay? All right, I think the best thing to do here is to get you all in the same space, uh, preferably wherever you're already staying. He's, like, scrutinizing the notebook that's really quite small. It's like, yeah. I mean, I think this says that it's made of um, that wood. Ash. There's that one. That one's supposed to be good. That pamphlet said so anyway. Anyway, if we get you all there, I reckon that's probably the safest thing. We should also probably find your... Fantastic. What are you laughing at, buddy? <laughs> Nothing. What? <laughs> I'm oh, not yeah. buddy. Sorry. Mm. We what should also going? find Miss... Kelly. Kelly. A.K. Other Kelly. Other yes. Kelly. That one, and make sure nobody else is sneaking out. Is there anyone else we need to try and sequester? Tick. 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 <laughs> You see Bates emerge further up the street. He stands alone before you under a street light. He's about ten or so metres away from you guys. Ah, 
Good evening. Good evening. Warwick is going to start walking towards him. Okay. Jess is following quickly behind. As no, you, no. As you take that first step forwards, you see two other figures moving through the dark and joining him on either side. Ooh. You see Jess's mother and father joining him on either side. Oh, he's still going ahead. No, he's not stopping. Okay. Jess is going even Warwick harder to no try and get in front of Warwick. Yeah, Tully, Tully's also... I think no following. She's going to roll to try and get past. Where's Emily? Emily's, I'm imagining, still with the rest of the group. That's a nine. Wherever Emily is is where To get in front of Warwick. Fifteen. <laughs> oh she does not goodness. get past. She's like puts his hand out like on your forehead. The side where she's like back. literally not wide enough for you to get around... <laughs> The, the shoulders alone. Kind of feels like just a oh, little a kid, like. Yeah. No. She's still gonna keep trying. Flashbacks to her brothers doing. That. Oh yeah, massive flashbacks to her brothers. All right, hold on a sec. Yes. Mister Bates, a word. Warwick, I'm sure we can have it from this distance. <laughs> well, I don't really want to strain my voice. <laughs> I'm sure that would be difficult for you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He'll, he'll stop where he is. He's still, like, pushing Jess's forehead back. She's still trying to get around. Would you like me to read you your rights now or later? He gestures with his hands. Warwick, you and I both know things like me don't have rights. That's how Tyr and the agency operate. On the contrary, we're the only ones that'll give you any kind of rights. Those aren't the type of rights I like. Too bad, it's the only kind you're going to get. I will say one thing for you. You're very clever. But I've met people who use hostages before. It all ends the same way. He looks from Mr. and Mrs. Harlow, and he looks back at Warwick. Oh no, they asked to come. Delusion is delusion, Mr. Bates. No matter which way you spin it. This ends with one outcome only. You in a cage below London. I guarantee it. <laughs> we shiver backwards to uh, Warwick telling Heath this story in the... That's what I told him. <laughs> and Heath going, no, you didn't. You just made that up now. I was like, yes, I just made that up now. <laughs> it would have been good at the time. <laughs> you can cut all of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jess rolled a oh, tens of trying once again. Now crawl under. <laughs> yeah, that's a three. Yes. Will you stop it? Where'd you go? Yeah. Okay, um, Bates turns to Mr. and Mrs. Harlow and says, do you, do you mind? And your father's like, no, no, it's fine. No, he's going to go over and like sit down on the town hall steps a few metres away. Um, so they're still a few metres away from you, but they are disconnected now from Bates. Yeah. Well, Jess is still going to be in between Warwick and Mr. Bates. Yeah. yeah. She's going to look back at Mr. Bates, though. Look back, forward. Yeah. If I'm to understand this situation correctly, you are the last of your peoples, right? Bates looks around like, I, I, I'm sure Tyr has already decided its answers and come up with its verdicts. It has. But I think it's worth saying. You might not like it, but you are safer with us. 
everything safer in a cage. Yes, it is. Especially when it draws the ire that you seem to do. But nothing is true in a cage. It is simply a mirage. There are ways we could help you if you would let us. I'm sure of it. But what I need is not help. No. I'm running out of time. And I made a promise that I would do this. And I must see it done. But thank you for your offer. We will see you soon, Mr. Bates. I'm seeing you now. And he widens his hands and looks your Friends, I understand things are rather tense between us at the moment. But I must assure you, I am not the enemy here. There are forces at work, both within Mercy's Creek and in the world at large, that are our true enemy. I believe once we've had a chance to talk, once I lay the cards out for you, you will all feel more comfortable about all this. But I cannot dismiss the animosity you have for me. I understand. Truly, I do. It is my fault that Jack Finney is dead. A young man cut down in his prime. The same true for Willow Holmes. If I had not set in action the events that have come to pass, neither would be dead. The blood is figuratively on my hands, but it is not physically. I take what blame is mine, but I take no more. So come now, let's not pretend. You hate me because of yourselves. You failed young Jack. You were not the friends he needed or deserved. And now you put that blame, that anger, on me. Because it's easier than facing the fact that you failed him. You didn't believe him, and now the death of your friend Willow makes it even easier for you to hate me. But I assure you, he pulls from the pocket of his jacket the gun Pevensey had stolen from him, and he skids it across the ground. I'm assuming Warwick stops it with his foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jess will step to the side to let it slide past okay. her. Warwick, you pick it up and flick open the barrel. It's a revolver. You will see only four missing. He pulls another handful from his po- uh, another hand from his pocket and drops four crushed shell-like bullets onto the ground. The four that I retrieve from the bodies of the persona. They unarmed you, but I forbode them to use such tools. Those are police-issue rounds and pistol. So unless I decide to take time from my busy schedule to drive to the nearest town, two hours away, to fetch some extra bullets for it or steal some from the sheriff's armory, but I'm sure if you asked Derek Harlow, he would find none missing after taking inventory. Willow did not die by my hands either. But once again, I understand. I understand the rage. Not white hot, that boils over. The icy hatred that eats away at you. The desire for vengeance, any sort of vengeance. I was a young man too, once, and I felt it. But I was lucky enough to be saved by beautiful people. They saved me from that type of hatred. That is the only reason I am here. Rage can only take you so far. The soul cannot run on such things alone. I hope to be the same force of good for you. But next. 
You hate me because you think I'm stealing your town. But I am no thief. He gestures at your parents, Jess. I did not bring them here as a tool of bargaining or manipulation. I have no need for such things. If I wanted you dead, you would be dead. You would die in your beds. I have no need for manipulation because what I offer is good. It does not need to be twisted to make desirable. They asked to be here because they wanted to welcome their daughter. He holds out his hand. You have put yourselves on the side of the enemy. Of the monster. You have Weaver in your possession. You are holding him somewhere. But enough of him. I don't care about him. I care about you. Weaver and I will sort out our differences when the time comes. For now, you are my focus. Now is the time to change sides. I have heard the voice of rage and ruin. I have heard his voice. The harbinger will come and he will wipe the slate clear. We must be united for such events. We must look after one another. We must be one. The world drags us down day by day. The guilt, the anger, the despair, it weighs heavily on our souls. And that is my gift. That is my mission. I will take what ails you and I can give you peace of mind. I can take the guilt, the fear, the loss. Imagine waking up every morning and knowing you are part of a family. You belong. And there is no fear of rejection, no concern, no judgment. You belong and you are welcome. You are home. You can be like a child again. He reaches out a hand. And with you, Tuck, you're a dreamer, a rare power handed down through the generations. Imagine what you could do if I could teach you. Together we could see through time, learn more about what is to come, work out how to save as many people as we can. But what you all need to do is decide who you intend to stand with. Olivia, imagine never having to face the worst case scenario. Buddy, imagine never fearing that those important to you would leave you, that you'd forever be wanted and forever be with your people. Jess, imagine all that has passed, all the stresses and worries of the world, all the judgment. Imagine feeling it all be washed away and made new. Tully, Imagine no one ever being angry with you ever again. Knowing your value. Knowing your place. And being loved for who you are, not who you try to be. Tack, my boy. Imagine being yourself. Not living in another's shadow. Not living in the shadow of Floyd Tippett. Never needing to sabotage another band just before it makes it big because you don't think you deserve it. 
Imagine not feeling like an imposter in your own life, letting that deep anger drip away. He then turns to Warwick, Mears, and Emily. Strong and mighty warriors, bravest of all, I see in you shadows of the great heroes of the past. You are strong and I respect that strength. I respect you the struggle, the effort to be the top, to represent so much. What I offer is not for the strong. This is for those who have been strong for far too long, who are beginning to buckle under its weight. I see your hearts and I see your minds. You will not accept my offer. But in time, when the years have passed, when your shoulders begin to grow tired from holding up the sky all around you, my offer will still stand. He turns back to you guys. Enough of being broken, being shattered. It's time to be whole again. Let me rebuild you. Jess, your father steps up from the steps and holds his hand out. Come on, Jess. It's time to come home. She goes, like, straight for a hug. Like, doesn't even take his hand, just straight bear hug. And bursts into tears. He hugs you back, and your mother hugs you as well. Uh, Telly looks at Bates. Did you rehearse that? Bates smiles. Maybe a little. I have to take notes sometimes. I can tell. Yeah. Bullet points. General notes to hit. Tuck's just gonna leave. You hear... Clack. 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 Coming from the opposite sen- end of the street. And you hear... Jess! You hear a loud clatter and you turn around to see Derek hobbling his way up from the other side of the street. He's coming from the sheriff's station. One of his crutches has buckled under his weight and has he because he was moving too fast and he has left it behind, now fully relying on the one. Your group now stands in the middle. On one side, about 10 metres away, stands Bates and you're kind of in between there with your parents. And on the other side, 10 metres away, is Derek, breathing loudly. He coughs and chucks away the remaining crutch, standing on his own, swaying a bit, the street lights above him casting dark shadows across his face as, he bre- as his breath breaks into great plumes of mist. Are you still walking, Tuck? No, I've stopped. Okay. You feel a hand on your shoulder and, it, and you breathe in and you make the realisation. We cut back to the group. (sighs) You listen to me now, Jessica Harlow. Don't you remember a little girl sitting on her own in first grade, sitting in the sandpit, using the water from her drink bottle to make sandcastles? What about the little girl who struggled to make friends because none of the other girls were like her or shared her interests? He starts taking laboured steps forwards, holding his side as he does it. 
How about the young lady who would stand her own against four older brothers? A young lady who would fight back, argue back, and usually kick back a bit too. The one, the young woman who knew who she was, knew where she stood, knew the ground beneath her feet, and knew her home. Who knew Mercy's Creek. Who believed in her friends and trusted her brothers. You might have forgotten that young woman, but I haven't. So listen to me now, Jessica Harlow. I don't care what you've done in, your, in the years you've been away, what mistakes you've made. You think every last one of us haven't? Any points? This man, this thing, this creature preys on that. Preys on our regrets, on our fears, and he's preying on yours. And it looks like he's preyed on mums and dads. But you listen to me. This ground, this soil, it's ours. This is our Mercy's Creek. And you're our Jess. And there's nothing you can do about that. And you see figures moving in the dark now. Your mouth goes dry as you think the persona but quickly you see that they aren't the persona you see figures moving through the dark and into the light of the street lamp joining Derek one takes Derek under the arm to hold him up you see Mark Harlow James Harlow and Luke Harlow your brothers together for the first time in ten years Derek now turns his attention to Bates you You've got it all wrong. You're not a thief in the night. You're a thief of the heart. You steal away people's self-respect, their courage, their hopes. You lower them down to your level so that you can manipulate them. You weed your way into their minds and make them think all is lost. Well, guess what? You aren't the answer. You're just as fucked up as the rest of us and you gotta learn to deal with it and you can't fix us. You can't even fix yourself. You might think you have this town by the throat but there will always be people to stand against you while there is. Mercy's Creek will keep on living. Because Mercy's Creek will never be yours. Not while it's still alive. Because you're an outsider. Parasite. And we don't take kindly to outsiders. Not in these parts. Now get away from my sister! He pulls a pistol on Bates, who smiles and waves his finger at Derek. Derek. Put it away, my boy. I'm trying to handle this peacefully. And let's be honest. If a hunter can't take me, what do you think you're going to be able to do with that? But if it works out some aggression, go ahead. Shoot me. 
Tuck is going to tackle him. Roll for it. Uh, Tuck, you go. You feel the hand leave your side as you go and you jump to tackle him and you feel a hand around your throat and you are thrown bodily back by a persona that has manifested instantaneously and Derek clicks back the hammer and shoots and it travels and is caught in the hand by a persona inches from Bates Buddy uh, with an 11 plus 3 physical will rush over to help uh, Tuck Okay, he's, he's been thrown back, so he's the persona's not near him. Yeah, it's yeah. just more seeing Tuck. But he's been very torn on how to act, and he just wants to do what's best for you know his friends. And the second he sees Tuck get thrown, he's like, oh, there, I'll be there. Okay, buddy, you are on your way over. Derek is now re-aiming the gun down towards his dad's knee to try and get him to let go of Jess. Ooh. Jess is going to run basically straight in the middle. Hands out. Stop. Everyone just, just stop. Just, no fighting. No more deaths. This, this needs to stop. Liv, in the meantime, is like leaning over to Emily being like, so you've got your knife, right? Knife? Well, not knife, but like that sword thing. They're different. Okay. Nice. All she knows is daggers. So she's like, this thing is cool a knife, bro. <laughs> Very long. Yeah. Anyway, so she's like, you got your blade. That's that's good. That's yes. very good. Always. All right. So Jess is trying to stop it. What are you trying to do, Jess? Um. Oof. Through the power of standing. Through the power of standing in the middle of the way. Um, so she's going to keep eye contact with Derek, but she's actually walking like backwards towards Mr. Bates with her hands still out. Basically, meat shielding herself. Using herself as meat shield. So that they don't attack Bates. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Tuck, being helped by Bonnie, is going to roll up to his feet he's not going to bother looking behind him he's just going to say <coughs> well I hope you have a plan coming back of course you hear the voice of Sheriff Whitaker echo out and there are three loud sounds as three sets of headlights are ignited coming from each corner of the main street, shining over onto the personas, which cower away, shrieking at the, the light. Uh, Tuck is going to spit blood and gravel. Because <laughs> I'm assuming every time he falls, he falls face first. Yeah. yeah. That's just <laughs> how it works. character trait. Character trait. Jess, I know you don't want anyone to fight, but if you go with him, you're not going to see that little girl of yours. He's not going to let you go find her. She's never going to know you or this town if you don't leave. Derek throws the gun down to the ground and marches forward past um, Warwick and sticks his hand out to you. He's still about three or four metres away. Um, so what she's going to do, really shittily... <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> she's going to basically reach into her handbag, pull out a screwdriver, and yeet it at Mr. Bates. And miss miserably. Three. Okay, it misses, and you just see a persona appear and catch it behind it, Shit. and like put it into a pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say throw it at time. It's like, yeah, it's mine. <laughs> okay. And, ooh, yeah. So basically, she's going to throw it and then yeah, run towards Derek. Okay, Derek is going to grab you, and you are kind of enfolded by the other Harlows because Derek can't move. <laughs> so he's then caught. He catches you, and then he's then, caught by Luke. And, and Luke's dragging you back. We okay. just cast Jess onto each brother going down in age. Okay, you guys now have noticed the lights, and you all turn around behind you, and you see a large blue ute behind you with bright lights skewing out around and a man gets out and slams the door and the dog who's with you pricks up and begins running over and stops by him and he kneels down and pats it and looks at you and the realisation clicks you'd only seen him a few times in the past but he was at town meetings and all of that and you just never put the name to the face, but you see Orlando, Florida, standing with his dog and his car in front of you. Orlando's alive! <laughs> Hang on, I need to process this. Was he the one who owed the dog the whole time? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he was the guy in the diner. You then, look, you then look over to the other side, one of the other large cars, and you recognise, it doesn't sound healthy... But you recognise the F1 truck from before as John Campbell gets out of it and you see, getting from the other side, Frank Hill as well. And he he joins John Campbell on the side. And then you see the other car, the unmistakable Thirsty Merc, which is now behind Sheriff Whitaker and Tuck Marsh as Sheriff Whitaker grabs Tuck's arm and, like, pulls him up fully. Uh, okay, Lando, uh, Orlando is marching up towards you guys, and the, the, um, the Persona are shrieking and more of them are appearing. One of them just stops it shrieking to catch the screwdriver. Yeah, just a little Woo! bit, yeah. And then continues <laughs> Bates is looking rather frustrated with the turn of events. It's like, ah, right. And he's gonna look to, um, to the two Harlows and shrug a little bit and start turning around and they are going to start walking with him. Uh, Orlando pulls something up and you see what looks like a modified lemon gun. Watch your eyes, everybody! And he clicks something in the back while holding a lighter and toom! And something flies over your head and lands at the feet of Persona and just like a few feet away from um, Mr. Bates and it goes off like an absolute cracker. It is some type of modified flashbang. It goes off and the persona scream. And what comes next is a shower of white hot silver that begins to fall and burn them as it lands. Liv immediately like, okay. <laughs> just, just like sunglasses down. Not the persona though. You guys keep your eyes. He says that often. He says that after it explodes. John Campbell pulls what seems like a strange-looking flare from his pocket, lights it, and throws it as well, and it explodes, but differently this time. It sends out a shower of fire over the area that lands in these small little pieces, these small chunks, and they stay burning like a phosphorus bright red light that just keeps burning the persona. 
Duck is just going to mentally flash back to one of his few genuinely positive memories of being about maybe 12 um, and spending a weekend helping Mr. Harlow repaint the front of the shop after he had graffitied it. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a weirdly affirming experience, despite the fact that this is my punishment. Everybody, we've got to get back. We're not safe here. We can't defeat them. Only stalling. arm movement that came with that. You guys, uh, uh, Emily and Warwick and Ben have kind of clocked onto the situation. They fought these guys enough times now, no, that's not, fighting them isn't going to work, so they're now ferrying you guys into the cars as the personas are being hit back again and again as Orlando is shooting again and again, pushing them back as he's backing up towards his car. And as he's backing up, he passes Tuck Marsh and says, (laughs) Ah, you. I've seen what you've done. You're Getting a bill for all that sugar you poured into my engine. Why would you feed a dog chocolate? Didn't your mother tell you? That's the one thing you don't do. It kills them. What kind of monster would feed a dog chocolate? He's completely (laughs) blind. (laughs) Uh, Don't know who you are. I don't know what's happening. Um, yep, so you guys are ferried into cars as the personas try to advance. They take a slice at the F1 truck because it hasn't had enough abuse, and they, like, <laughs> cut off the back flap bit as it's going, as the you guys tail- are pulling the tailgate. And then John's, like, just skids back onto the road and is like, I'll fix that tomorrow. <laughs> and you guys skid your way up out of Mercy's Creek, and there is a feeling as you leave it like you are leaving it to the enemy. My fellow gamers, do you know something? Dark Tides is only possible because of our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash darktides. You can support us there and support the show and the amazing things we do here. But here is a time to say thank you to the wonderful people that have uh, brought this show to your ears. And we've got a bunch of new people as well, which is very exciting. We've got Jesse, Jake, Stephanie, Kira, Colin, Stephen, Nathaniel, Undercoming Arts, Number 27, Snacky Boy, Flower, Addy, Julita, which I believe I still pronounce wrong, but he hasn't given me the correct pronunciation yet, Red Panda, Lexi, David, Mikau, Glennis, Jackson, Spixy, and Angela, our uh, adopted family member, sort of? Yeah, something like that. These people bring Dark Tides to you every week, and they also get a heap of other stuff on top of all of that over on the Dark Tides Patreon. We just did a uh, the bonus episode that we did for last month was an episode where me, 
Aubrey, BJ, and Micah went back and basically played the original version of D&D. It's called like D&D Advanced or something like that. And uh, we broke Aubrey. He was banging his head on the table because he wanted it to be serious and... Uh, well thought out and we ruined it every single step of the way it was so much fun it's one of the funniest episodes we've done and we have a heap of stuff like that so jump over to patreon.com slash dark tides for extra dark tidesy goodness and also to support the show see you in two weeks goodbye goodbye